welcome once again to another evening. As always, I am Danny. You can find me over on Instagram as Blotters Inc. Books or on TikTok as a Novel Evening Podcast. And this week I am joined by Liam Brown, whose upcoming novel, Evergreens, poses a question um, that I think <laughs> I've probably considered fairly often, especially as I approached my 30s and came into my 30s. But the tagline of the book is every living thing must die. No one is disputing that. But the how and the when, now that's worth discussing. So, you know, this is about whether you could stay young forever. What if you never had to grow old? What if somebody offered you a medical trial to do just that? I have so many questions for Liam. If you like a dystopian novel that gets you thinking, that poses those big what if questions in your brain, this is the one for you. I have so much I need to ask Liam. Um, so much I need to know about this book and I'm super super excited that he's going to join me and I cannot wait to see what he's going to bring for his novel evening. A massive hello to Liam, hello! Hello! How are you doing? I'm very good thank you, it is a a balmy evening in Birmingham uh, in the UK Um, and I'm sat in my shed which is where I live 18 hours a day so yeah it's nice. Oh nice cladded, nice cladded shed to sit in. Yeah exactly. Nice. I am in Devon and it's like, it's weirdly grey and overcast, but it's so muggy. Yeah. I, I Yeah, I feel like you win. I think I'd much rather be in um, in beautiful Devon than industrial Birmingham. So It's true. I do have the sea. I can look out the window at the sea. Even if I can't get in it, I can see it. So, you know, I am very lucky. Okay, you don't good. have that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a sea. There's no sea in Birmingham. Definitely unlocked. You have the bull ring though. I mean, it's also nice on a hot day. Yeah, not so good for a swim. No, that is very true. And look, thank you for taking some time this evening to come and chat to me all about Evergreens. Uh, I have read it, first and foremost. I very much enjoyed it. I have many questions for you. (laughs) Because I think my brain ached a little bit by the end of it. I found myself rather, you know, I'm only in my 30s. um, And yet I still found myself pondering this book. So before we kick in on questions... For anyone who's listening who hasn't picked up the book, hasn't seen it, tell me what Evergreens is about. Okay, so Evergreens is a love story, um, but it's a love story with a twist. So uh, a young couple, Ben and Sophie, meet at the age of 21. They fall in and out of love, have their ups and downs, as many young couples do. But then something strange happens. Ben uh, joins a, a medical trial. Uh, called the Evergreens Project, and he then stays at the age of 21. So it kind of freezes him in time while Sophie gets older and older and older. And the book then takes place over the uh, preceding decades, so that by the end of the novel, she's in her 80s and he's still 21. So it's a book about ageing and about, I guess, what it means to live a good life. And, you know, is it about quality or quantity? Um, and there's also sort of a thriller element in there as well, but I won't I won't give too much about that away. Yes, no, absolutely no spoilers, because I do think it's a book you need to read, because there are twists in there that I did not foresee. <laughs> there's some stuff going on. And look, you obviously have your characters when they meet, they're 21. And for me, I look back at my 20s as a time that now I'm older, I'm not sure I'd necessarily go back to but when you're in your 20s if someone was to offer you the chance to stay young and footloose and fancy free forever it's very tempting right yeah absolutely and it's a good point um I mean looking back I I just turned 40 like I don't know a couple of months ago 
And uh, I think your 20s are totally overrated. Like they're, they're so um, like fetishized in society, like youth is generally, um, you know, all of our, our pop stars and our rock stars are young and our film stars, which is something I kind of touch on in the book a little bit. Um, but, you know, like I feel like my life has generally just been, has got better with each decade, <laughs> don't know. Um, yeah, it's hard being young. You just don't realize it at the time. And you think, you know, the, the thought of aging is awful. Um, but, it, but it has its rewards that's very true and I think it's that's the interesting thing in this again without want to give too much away you have a couple who one has made this decision to halt the aging process one has decided not to and that's the interesting thing and I love how as well the kind of realism in this is things like when Sophie's out for dinner and she's you know a woman of kind of our kind of age you know she's older and she's being seen with this 21 year old and it's the idea of how people judge. I mean, when you were writing these characters, did you always know it was going to be Ben was going to be the younger one, Sophie will be older? Did you kind of ever think of it the other way around? It, it, funnily enough, a few people have asked me that. And um, I, I just thought, hey, it's kind of a bit icky just having like, <laughs> it's like some weird male fantasy where they've got like a perpetually young woman or just yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio's uh, <laughs> love life, if the tabloids are to be believed. Yeah. Um, but I, I like for me, it's interesting because I think uh, women get a, a rougher ride when it comes to aging in terms of the way society treats them. You know, um, you, you certainly see actresses of a certain age not getting those roles and disappearing. Yeah. You know, we're still all allowed to kind of make heart eyes at George Clooney and Brad Pitt as they enter their yeah. late 50s and 60s. And, you know, there's, you, I just read the other day Al Pacino and Robert De Niro uh, having babies in their, into their late 70s and early 80s. Yeah. And it's a whole other discussion. But I think it, it for me, it was a far more interesting to explore then what it, it, how society treats women as they age yeah yeah and I you know I have to ask you where this idea came from you know we're talking about kind of young actors this idea of an actor becoming a silver fox while a female actress is kind of the mum role but where did this idea come from for you so I think initially the first the first seed of the idea came just it I wanted to write a love story and I thought about how people can be separated and you know they can be separated separated by conflict they can be separated by distance and I thought wouldn't it be interesting if they were separated by time in a sense um so that was the very first thought that I had and then the story I think well my during it's I'll go back a little bit um during the pandemic my nan um, moved in with us so she was 18 eight, in her late 80s 89 years old um, and if you asked her how old she was she just insist she was 21 absolutely felt she was 21 and, and a had a very young spirit um, and that really got me thinking about the difference between our sort of internal worlds and our external worlds and how you know sometimes it can be a bit like you're, you're trapped in a body and the world views you and treats you a certain way um, but inside you still, you know, I, I still think, although I said earlier, like life gets better, I still think inside I'm probably just a, a 10 year old boy, really. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting because I've, I've recently gone back to university um, in the last year. I had my children. I kind of get, I, you know, I'd taken a lot of time off. I was like, do you know what? I'm going to, I'd never been to university. I'd always want to, I was like, I'm going to do that. So naturally now, I mean, they use the term mature student, which I'm going <laughs> to 
I'm like, meh, sort of mature student. But obviously I'm one of the older. So my kind of friendship group when I'm at university are kind of like 18, 19, 20 year olds. And some people are kind of like, oh, you're 32 and you're hanging out with like 19 year olds. But, but inside, I'm still a 19 year old. Like I still like the same nerdy things. I like gaming, I like films. And it's just that my body is older. My brain is probably still stuck in like 2002, Jackie. <laughs> But I bet you work harder than uh, the younger students. I was a mature student as well. I like I went to university <laughs> with a child as well, and um, like I just watched this sort of the kids who just left school at eighteen just go down in flames. Like their entire student loan spent in the first fortnight. It was like, oh wow, okay. And there were two mature students. I did creative writing at, at university, were English cool. lit and creative writing, and there were two. Um, I'm doing air air quotes mature students in our year and I think we're the only two who actually went on then to like use our degree and become writers like no yeah. and so I feel like we maybe we know we need it more like we've got a shot at this and we're like okay this is kind of the one shot we're gonna get now because you know we're not gonna be able to keep taking loans out we've got kids like we have one shot at this we've got to we've got to do it right I definitely worked at enough crappy jobs uh, to be like, yep. this is my ticket out. This is the only chance I've got to not go back to, you know, that factory or whatever, warehouse. It's really funny because it's a really similar situation. I have worked some really shit admin jobs and I have my kids and I was like, oh, I don't think I can go back to just doing that. I'm going to go and do something wild. But it's really interesting that like you say how mentally I think I'm really glad I didn't go to university at 18 19 because I actually think I probably would have wasted that opportunity I probably would have been partying all the time and you know Sophie in the book you see a very different side to how she views when she's kind of in her late teens early 20s going to university to how Ben sees it you know she's kind of out drinking all the time she's having you know she's living that fresher's life and he comes from a very different background and is doing things very differently so I think it's very interesting when you look back and I think, I don't know about you, I think, God, I would never have been able to have done this at that age. Yes, but if you'd stayed that age forever, there's no pressure for you to achieve. And I guess exactly. that, it's like, well, I can just do this, you know, indefinitely. So yeah. where, where is that external pressure, you know, that drive, that, amb that ambition? Where does it come from? If not ultimately knowing that you've probably got a time limit. So. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and that's the interesting thing about this book. And, you know, it really did make my brain ache a bit because it does open up questions in your mind. You know, would I want to have time stopped? Would I want it to have been in my 20s? Would I want it to be now? Would I want it to happen ever? What side of the fence do you think you lean on? Uh, so would I join the Evergreens programme? This is mm. what you're asking me. I, I mean, I think, um, I, I think it's tempting if I'm going to be honest, it's like there, there is definitely like a, a terrified part of me that's just like, stop, stop the train. I'm, you know, I, I yeah, I want to get off. Um, I'm okay here. But having said that, I think like morally, mm. it, it life is only worth something because, because it, you've only got so much time and it's like, you can't have, you know, life without death, good without bad happiness without sadness so I think you kind of you have to take the whole package yeah so if I've got the pill in my hand do I take it or not I don't know <laughs> I'd like to think I'd like to think I wouldn't whether or not if it was a reality whether I was a strong enough person I don't know so I know it's what the right thing to do is but yeah. yeah it's interesting you said about like society because I wonder if 
society's way of portraying or treating the elderly or the way we look at death, the way we talk about it, if it was less of a, like a taboo subject, maybe it wouldn't feel like this terrifying, getting old thing, dying thing. So I thought it was really interesting when you touched on how society views growing older. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Really yeah. interesting. I do wonder if we saw more, you know, because I think as well, there was a really interesting advert a while ago about older people and the stories that they had behind them. There was kind of, I don't know if you saw it, it might have been Help the Aged, kind of, they had a picture of an older person looking in the mirror at who they used to be. And you know, if you knew who these people were, you treat them very differently now. And I think there's something about that. Maybe we'd be less scared to be old if we actually talked to our older people. Yeah, I think so. Um, with all my grandparents, that was certainly the case. And I think they, sadly, a lot of them, you know, they get lonelier as they got older. I've I've been asked to do various commissions. And one that springs to mind was uh, was to go and collect the stories of people who worked in the old glass factories in Stourbridge, which was like the glass centre of the you know, mid 20th century. And uh, talking to guys in their sort of 80s, phenomenal stories, like incredible. You could listen to them forever. Um, but you really get the sense that maybe nobody asks and everyone's forgotten. And I think that's more about perhaps like the fixation of youth in our culture. And it's like only young people have the good stories to tell, um, yeah. which isn't the way I don't think like traditionally in human uh civilization it would be like the the elder of the tribe would hold core and, and be the the keeper of wisdom because they have experience and i guess somewhere along the way that's uh, that's gone out of fashion so that's changed and how was the process of writing this because i imagine it's it's a lot to wrap your head around what you're creating here with like the evergreens project how was that process for you did you end up kind of having to think about very big life questions while you were writing <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. So Evergreens is my fifth novel. Um, and, I, you know, I've written some other novels as well. So I, I, like in total, it's like the eighth or ninth novel I've probably ever written. Wow. Um, some are just very, very quick. It's like you start writing and it's it, it just flows and you, you see the whole story. Evergreens was not one of the <laughs> these. This was like so many drafts and so many like... Uh, scribbles of trying to keep track of timelines and trying to work out okay so this happened 40 years ago what's happening now um and then because I guess it's it's like speculative fiction and it, I, I can't remember where it goes up to 19 uh, 2070 or 2075 something like that like there was a lot of research looking at kind of what's happening now and trying to work out okay where might that go because I didn't want to turn it into sort of you know jetpacks and and, and hoverboards yeah hoverboards <laughs> exactly so it's like realistically you know what's the distance I guess it's like uh it's sort of what the 80s or the 70s were to us now so things are different definitely but still recognizable and I wanted that yeah. to be the case of the book so there was a lot of reading as well um but yeah it was it was just draft after draft after draft wow it um, feels very realistic I have to say I know sometimes you pick up kind of futuristic novels and it seems so out of like the realms of possibility um, but I guess in the 80s, they probably said that about some of the fiction that was coming out for the 2000s. And we're here with, you know, AI technology and it couldn't have been predicted. But it definitely felt very real as I was reading it. Scarily so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the other thing that was a front of mind was uh, when I was writing it is I was like really keen not to write a, like a dystopian fiction. Yeah. Because I think what well, the novel I've written previously is, is called Skin and uh I mean, that was written in 2019 or it came out in 2019. And that was about, 
it's very unrealistic about a virus that sweeps throughout the world. And, and I read skin. I have yeah. I read skin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a bit freaked out. Unrealistic. Yeah, I was a bit freaked out. And okay, great. I hope everything I write doesn't now come true. Is this my this is my weird? I remember reading that and then being like, oh dear. Um. But, you know, with skin, obviously, it, it was quite a, a sort of a, a dystopian view of the world, like a virus has ravaged, uh, you know, humanity. And I really wanted to kind of look forward. And although there were problems, uh, you know, particularly I touched on climate change, um, I didn't want to, like, drag... I wanted there to be some hope. Particularly, we've lived through such a depressing era. It feels like the last four or five years have been insane uh, for all sorts of reasons. Um, so hopefully it's not like too too depressing I'm asking is it really depressing it's not I didn't fight so skin was definitely more on the side of the depressing I'll give I'll give you that this definitely I see what you mean there is still a levity it poses big questions but I didn't come away from it being like well I might as well give up <laughs> <laughs> that's good yeah okay I'm going to steal that for a promotional quote. Oh, do it, do it, yes. It didn't make me feel like I want to give up. That's, you know, that's as good as a five-star review. You saying about that the last few years, I saw a meme the other day that said, I didn't realise the apocalypse would be this slow or expensive. And that is how it's felt for the last four years. Absolutely. Which as a writer, it's hard because also, you know, it's been a quite heavy time for a lot of people and you're writing about a subject that is quite a heavy subject yeah. so it must be quite hard to bring some lightness into that or did you find that quite easy um I, I think I, I always like books where there's sort of a balance anyway like it's very it's very difficult just to read something that's kind of unrelentingly bleak uh, although you know it can work but I remember reading um Cormac McCarthy has obviously just died and Cormac McCarthy's The Road fantastic oh god incredible <laughs> But it's so hard emotionally to read that book and just go, This I'm in such a dark, cold, lonely place right now w without any kind of flicker of hope. And so I think, you know, I always try and try and balance it. I can remember <laughs> closing the road. I sort of read it. And that was a moment when I was like, well, I don't think I can go on anymore. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and it's hard because futuristic books, I think they do tend to fall a lot into those categories. There seems to be a lot of kind of, either very dystopian or kind of a bit kind of utopian on the other side of it. And I think you've kind of found a nice balance. Yeah, well, I guess that's me. I'm neither an optimist or a, a pessimist. I don't know, is there a word for that? I'm just like, is that meh? Meh, <laughs> I think it might be meh. Meh, <laughs> okay. We just keep going. Oh my goodness. And when you've said, you know, you have written so many novels. Where do you go next? Do you know what you'll work on next? Are you working on something next? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm working on several things at the moment, um, as I tend to do. Most of the books spin out of, of the book I'd written previously, but maybe not in an obvious way. So, you know, it's not, there's not some Liam Brown Marvel universe where everything's interconnected, but quite often during the editing process when I'm reading back through a book little ideas will jump out or maybe like a side character will jump out and it's just like oh, maybe there could be something here there could be something here so without going into detail um there are two ideas that jumped out at me when I was editing um evergreens and um one of them I've already written and is finished as a novel and the other one I'm about halfway through now so Ooh, so, yes. So if you read Evergreens and then you read these other books, then you'll be like, oh, okay, I see how it all fits together. So. Pick, up, pick up some hints there. Okay, okay. And I'm very excited because I'm actually on the blog tour 
for this ah, month as well. Yeah. So I shall be posting. I was on the blog tour for Skin as well. Wow. Way back. <laughs> Way back when. It literally feels like a different world because that was 2019. So uh, four, four and a half years or something. So. And you know what? To be fair, I feel like those years have felt like a fever dream anyway. My my sense of linear time is completely broken. I have no, you know, which is ironic given the, the book I've just written. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I have no idea. I feel like as parents, this is one of those times when one day we sat with like our grandchildren, we're going to have to explain to them about the 2020s. Yes, we were all outside banging on uh, saucepans um, and clapping. Yeah, every and evening. Every <laughs> evening. And then we refused to uh, raise their pay. Oh, no. yeah. <laughs> yeah, then we were like, do you know what? Thanks for that and everything. But now it's 2021. We've moved on from that. Yeah. But the clap's not enough. Yeah. We had saucepans out. <laughs> Was that not enough? Yeah, <laughs> Honestly, exactly. it's such a bizarre time. Look, I love the book. I'm sure it's going to do absolutely phenomenally as well. It's so intriguing. Um, and I'm now very intrigued by what's going to come next for you. Now, you've said there's a couple of little nuggets you've taken out. I'll be keeping my eyes peeled to see if I'm like, ah, oh, it came from that. Excellent. <laughs> so now... <laughs> We're gonna, I have no idea what to expect from your novel evening. Um, and to be honest, it turns out I'm awfully guessing. So <laughs> I'm not gonna try. I'm just gonna firstly start off by asking you where we're gonna go for your evening. That's the important question. Okay, so I thought long and hard. And in fact, before I even start, Danny, you need to know I'm, I'm incredibly competitive. So like I, I gave, I listened to some other episodes and I thought they were good. And I was like, okay, I have to win at this. I don't think there's a prize. <laughs> I don't think there's a prize. If there's a prize, you can tell me. But um, there's a prize yet, but there could be. Okay, right. So I was like, I have to win. I'm, and I did so much planning. It's unbelievable. Okay, no, don't tell anybody. This is just off the top of my head. I'm just making this up. There's no planning whatsoever. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna riff because you know. Oh, this is all off the cuff. I mean, look, we've had people come on and pants this. Sometimes it's successful, sometimes it's not. And some people plan it meticulously. So you're not alone. I had, you know, like in the, the murder TV shows where they've got bits of string kind of connecting. You're like, that's the table yeah. plans. And then I, and I just sat down just before we you called tonight and um, I don't think it's going to work. I think it's going to be the worst dinner party ever. And no. my, my optimism no. <laughs> has ebbed away. I think, I don't know if there's a, there's a last place prize, but um, I think I might be in line for that. No, so, I don't. Uh, I refuse to believe this. Okay. We've had some weird shit go on on this podcast. Trust me. Yeah. Okay, so I've built it up and then I've dashed it. Okay. <laughs> which, which is a good narrative tool, actually. It, is, it truly is. So now okay. whatever we get, we're going to be happily, you know. Exactly, it's going to be unexpected. Yeah, we'll be happily surprised by whatever you pull out the bag okay. now. Okay, so venue. Where are we going to go? Venue, right. Okay, so. I know I um, may have dissed it a little bit at the beginning of this uh, this chat, but I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep it in Birmingham. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm, you know Birmingham is mentioned Evergreens. That's very deliberate because I don't think it, it really gets its due um, beyond um, Peaky Blinders and sort of heavy metal. That's basically it. UB I've had some lovely times in Birmingham. I used to do trade shows. I've enjoyed some lovely meals and nights out. Yeah. So you so you're happy with Birmingham? Okay. I'm happy with Birmingham. Yeah. And nobody's ever done Birmingham. Yes, exactly. So Birmingham, and I'm gonna um, I'm gonna do it at a specific place that no longer exists in Birmingham, uh, which was a cafe called Mr. Egg. Um, 
Mr. Egg was a pretty horrible, pretty rundown cafe in the city centre. And it's the kind of, but it was just, it would go all night. And so you'd go to a nightclub, you'd go to somewhere called Snobs and um, you'd stumble out at, at two or three in the morning and then you'd go and get an egg sandwich at Mr. Egg. No way! Yeah. That's what it, it was It was what its name was. It, it did various types of egg sandwiches, basically. I mean, it was a pretty grotty cafe, but you'd see everyone in there, like at all walks of life. And it was, uh, it was a good social leveller. So I think this is a good place for a dinner party. So maybe I'm thinking Birmingham, four in the morning, Mr. Egg. Okay, I'm actually down. I love eggs. So I'm actually down. And I love a greasy, I love a greasy late night cafe. There we go. Um, it's very niche because I think it closed more than a decade ago. So there's, there's very, a very specific listener will will recognize this and think, yes, yeah. Mr. Egg. And then nobody else will get in. Yeah. Okay. I'm down for this. It, it very much hinges, though, on who your guests are that you're bringing to Mr. Egg. <laughs> okay. Okay, who are we kicking things off with? Okay, so I thought, because people might not like eggs, they might want something different. I thought I'd invite Anthony Bourdain, okay, <gasps> to, cook, to cook for us, okay? And he's also a writer, because Kitchen Confidential, one of my favourite books, Parts Unknown, one of my favourite TV shows. Um, he's an absolute uh, legend. And um, his philosophy to, to food and cooking, keeping things simple, just a couple of quality ingredients. I thought, yes, that is, you know, how I view writing, like don't overcomplicate things, make it um, authentic, um, you know, don't crowd and clutter things, just, you know, give them a delicious meal. So Anthony Bourdain. Viewers can't, obviously listeners can't see this, but I'm smiling so broadly because I am such a huge fan of Anthony Bourdain. He was one of the people that I studied recently for one of my very first modules at university for his style of how he does documentaries. Uh, a lot of his kind of philosophies on mental health, on life, on how to live. I mean, incredibly tragic that he's not with us anymore because I think he's one of the greatest brains there's ever been. Um, I love, love, loved all of his shows. I've watched more on YouTube and Netflix. So you're already really high up there. <laughs> That prize is it's coming home. I, I fear I may ruin it with my next guest though. So I should have I, saved saved Tony. You Bordeaux. really should have done because I would have won it for you. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. I, I thought next, and and they really shouldn't be there at this time of night. Um, I was going to ask if I could have um a, a four for one. So yeah. was, okay, good. I'm glad that I'm, I'm the rules are. I've not breached any rules. The rules here. are very flexible. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> So I thought I might bring along um, Augustus Gloop, Mike TV, Veruca Salt and Violet Beauregard. Okay. Ooh, okay. First, they shouldn't be out of this time. <laughs> they, they definitely shouldn't. Although that book was written in the 60s, so they're probably, you know, they're years older than us now or something. Um, but justice for the for the Chocolate Factory 4, I think. Um, you know, they were very hard done by, by Roald Dahl. I mean, they were mutilated. Uh, you know, Augustus Gloop was permanently squeezed thin. Violet's permanently purple. Yeah. Uh, what happened to Veruca Salt? I think she just got covered in garbage, which is not that which bad. Which could have been, it was, yeah, that could have been yeah. worse. And Mike TV was stretched, I think it says he was permanently 10 foot tall and as thin as a wire. And he has to go through the rest of his life and like become an adult and Charlie yeah. gets a chocolate factory. And, you know, maybe they were a bit rude, but they were children. They were little children. They were actual, like small kids, weren't they? Roald Dahl was brutal, man. 
Um, so, I mean, that that book had a big impact on my life. Uh, and I thought, invite those invite those poor kids to come along. They can have a, an egg sandwich in Birmingham. It doesn't make up for the, the, <laughs> the trauma. trauma. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here's um, egg butty. Get over it. Exactly. Here's an egg butty. I'm really sorry you're purple. Um, and the, did she get squeezed? Did they try to squeeze the jar? I think they tried to squeeze the... That, I remember as a kid reading that and my brain would be like, where is the juice going to come out of? Yeah, 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 no, no. That was my first thought. I was like, that, nothing good comes of a juicer. I, having said that, I think there is definitely a hole in the market for sort of a spin-off, um, a spin-off film or something that explores, like, what happened to those guys? They had to go and live the rest of their lives. Charlie presumably just became rich with his slave army of Oompa Loompas. Um, very problematic. Um <laughs> Yeah, and do you know what I'd love to see like a villain origin story where that's what's happened to them, and then we see them as like this gang of arch villains. Yeah, I, yeah, I can see that looking for kind of vengeance on Charlie. <laughs> yeah, do you know I, I live um I live like five minutes from the uh, Cadbury chocolate factory, which apparently is where Roald Dahl was um, inspired to write the novel. So if maybe I, they had that. Yeah, exactly. Maybe they head there, and you know they do some do some killing the chit okay i'm not mad at those guest choices i like okay. a controversial choice okay i'm, I'm starting okay. to you know i'm not sure how they're going to get on with anthony bourdain but you know i don't know though he's met on his shows he's met some wild people and done some insane things i don't know if he'll bat an eyelid okay okay this is good i'm feeling you know i'm feeling okay about this but okay okay, okay. It depends on who's next. <laughs> ah, see, I thought next, but I, I, I think this might make me just like uh, an enormous narcissist, but I thought I might invite one of my own characters um, and I might invite um, Sophie from Evergreens. Okay, young um, Sophie, older Sophie. Oh, that's a good question. I think sort of Sophie um, when she is just finding herself. So sort of that Sophie late thirties, something okay. like that. Well, that's my kind, you know. I'm I'm early mid thirties, so yeah. you can find I mean, some I, I like Sophie, and the reason I wanted to invite her is because it's a funny thing writing a book. You spend a lot of time having conversations with imaginary people, and um, it would be amazing to like to actually meet meet them and and say, did I do you justice? And particularly as a as a like a male author writing yeah. a female character. And just, um, you know, saying like- Did you like the ending I gave you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't give you 21 forever. I'm really, really sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like yeah, that though. Yeah, it'd be nice to meet them. I also worry strangely sometimes when I wake up in the middle of the night um, about all of the books and stories that, that I didn't finish or, or never finish about the characters there. I just imagine them just like rattling around. Lost Why does on... that also feel like a story? Yeah, just kind of stuck on a, a zip drive or something somewhere. Unfinished just, characters having to just never live out the rest of their lives. I, I genuinely have a massive kind of because you feel like a duty to yeah. like kind of you know I have children, sorry kids, but um you know these are also your children when you create them and bring them into the world and then you just abandon them. Yeah. Like okay, really so Sophie gets and to be fair, I think Sophie needs a bit of a night out. She needs a bit of a nightclub and a bit of an egg buddy. I think she deserves it at this point. Okay, good. So, so I'm allowed, Sophie. I'm allowed oh, my... yeah, absolutely. Okay, and um, I'm really going to wreck it now because I've just got one more to bring. Okay. Okay, I'm not sure about this one. Okay, am I allowed to bring a metaphor? Because <laughs> <laughs> because I'm bringing a metaphor. I'm bringing the tiger from Judith Kerr's The Tiger Who Came to Tea. 
Um, oh, my kids love that so much. Oh, yeah. yeah it's great. One of my favourite stories as a kid and one of my favourite stories as an adult. And also, um, yeah, there's so many interesting things about the tiger identity. Uh, I like chaos, but I like the fact that the, the tiger's pretty charming. I'd invite that tiger in and let him drink all the water from my taps yeah. and drink all, drink all of my beer. Um, he's a pretty charming tiger. But, you know, fascism is also pretty charming. So be careful who you let in. Isn't that the moral of the story? I think so. Yeah. I, I think I, it is. How everything, yeah, I think so. I mean, my, my kids, that's kind of lost on them. We haven't had that conversation yet. <laughs> you wear a fascism yeah, Save kid. that one. Yeah, save that one. Um, but, yeah, so I'm just going to let, uh, uh, I'm going to let a loose tiger, a live tiger, a charming tiger, loose on uh, four children and Anthony Bourdain and one of my own characters. So... This is what I mean. I I feel in like Mr. Egg. <laughs> in Mr. Egg in the middle of Birmingham at four in the morning. So I feel like as far as dinner parties go, uh... <laughs> it's not, not, not very happy. often I've been lost for words on this podcast when I try and picture what's happening in this fairly grotty Birmingham egg cafe at four AM with one of my my all time heroes for arguably villainous children but also maybe misrepresented children who also now look look rather odd plus poor sophie who i think really needed a good time and is probably about to just have her food swiped off a plate by a tiger she's gonna be very confused at the you know and wait, till I tell her, wait till i tell her she's a fictional character as well that's really gonna ruin her evening isn't it oh. that's the thing would they know they're fictional would they know they're from a book would they just think their books with their real life You've just made a book here, or I might steal it for a film, so. Well, you know, a lot of um, sort of San Francisco tech bros think we're living in a sim simulation and that, you know, we are authored, so. But, don't but think if that's that, the case, could somebody rewrite my data? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Just give me some more, like, hit the, what's the cheat code for Sims? Rosebud. Because someone just hit that for me and make me give you a mansion. <laughs> This sucks. Yeah. Or, or just move the decimal points in my bank account. That's enough. That's not enough. Just in the right direction. Yeah, in the right direction. Definitely. Well, look, this, I tell you what, the prize you get is for possibly one of the most surreal, bizarre evenings I've ever had. Danny, a prize is a prize, and I will I've take never it. had an evening. Also, you have invited Anthony Bourdain. That gives you a gold star straight out the gate. Amazing. I will take that gold star and I will try it. <laughs> I can and imagine that. Go on your chart. Exactly. <laughs> messaging, messaging your publicist. I got the gold star. I'm glad to see those hours of planning weren't just wasted. They so. were not wasted. And okay. I do, I have to say, as much as, you know, people come on here and they have a really quaint evening with all their heroes and it's beautiful and lovely, I do kind of love a bit of chaos. Yeah, you can't beat chaos. Really and, you know, presuming we survive this evening, um, we'll have a great story afterwards. So. If we don't get food poisoning from the egg buddies. Yeah. <laughs> eaten by a tiger slash umpalumpas descend. Anything could happen. Anything could happen. Um, but it will make a good story. Truly, truly would. And look, before I let you go, on that note, I have to ask if you're reading anything at the moment. Um, yes, I'm reading a, a number of things at the moment. So I'm reading... Um, I know I said I wouldn't say anything about it, but one of the uh, novels I'm writing is about uh, music at the moment and about bands, and it's quite kind of set in the 90s. Uh, Ooh, a good time, good time for yeah. you. Yeah, so I'm reading uh, Kim Gordon's biography, Girl in a Band, 
and I'm reading Viv Albertine's biography. She was the guitarist in the Slits, uh, Close, 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 Music, 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 Boys, 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 um, both of which are excellent kind of sort of time capsule books. Um, they're fantastic. Um, and I've also just finished, uh, is it Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow? by Ooh, I have read that. Yeah, I like that story. Um, and I'm now reading actually to my, again, for a second time to my son, because the only way, this is my 13 year old son. And the only <laughs> way I can get him to read is to read to him. So oh, I love that though. I'm going to keep doing the bedtime stories until sort of he's in his forties and I'm in my. That's 60s. an interesting book for the best. <laughs> for the night yeah. reading. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we, so we've kind of progressed. So we did all, obviously, you know, rolled Dahl years ago and stuff. And now we just, uh, we did American Dirt last and now we're doing Tomorrow, Tomorrow, Tomorrow. So, yeah, so you're just kind of working through. You know That's some emotional schooling going on, though. Yeah, and I feel like there's quite a few sex bits that I kind of just have to... <laughs> skip over. Skip over, because I'm just like... You know, that's cool. I'm an open kind of person, but no one wants to have a memory of their dad reading them like sexy scenes when they're 13. I don't think. I think I would have, yeah. That sounds like something for his therapist to deal with someday. <laughs> he can sit in there with the with the um the roll doll children and get over his childhood trauma. Like, you guys think you had it bad because you got G squeeze out of you. Do you want to hear what my dad did when I was 13? <laughs> 50 shades of grey. <laughs> 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 I have to pay for therapy all right you guys could be worse off <laughs> look I I love that though I think there's something really beautiful about reading with your kids and especially when you have older children I think that's lovely and also I think that book's a good interim gateway to the joys of retro gaming absolutely yeah 100 percent um I, I that's what I enjoyed it for <laughs> yeah I have that's definitely the best bits of it and um it made me kind of um go and dig out my old snares from the attic and dust out super metroids so yeah Good book. Thumbs up from me. I love that. Well, thank you. Thank you so, so much. Thank you for joining me to talk all about Evergreens. I loved it. Fantastic. I cannot wait to see what comes next from you. Um, and yes, thank you for one of the most memorable novel evenings I think I've ever had. Thank you very much.